This is the Trauma Recovery Resilience Podcast, and this is for you if you are interested in compassion, connection, and relationships, and how we can all work together, creating services that do not add to harm, but rather seek to support recovery from it. I'm your host, Lisa Cherry, and this is your time to sit back and listen in on conversations that make a difference. Okay, good morning. Good morning. Lovely to see you on this fine, bright Monday morning. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Um, And just to kind of put a little bit of... um, uh, context uh, the reason that I'm so excited to talk to you today is because you are a very passionate advocate of inclusion um, we spend a fair amount of time on Twitter having conversations with a whole range of other people who are really exciting to talk to and you've also got a little bit of an interesting story about your relationship with the media which I'm sure we'll get on to later on um, but I um, I, <laughs> you see, this is because this is live. You see, so this is what happens when um, you you manage to get hold of a head teacher and they're actually at school. <laughs> so it's not me that they want, so it's all right. <laughs> so um, I'm going to hand it straight over to you. Really, I mean, how how have our paths crossed on Twitter? Tell us a bit about what you do, what you're passionate about, and and how we've ended up um, in. Uh, connected to each other in some way so um so i'm rachel thomason from barrowford primary school which is in east lancashire you'll probably be able to get that from the accent um and uh our school um is very much concerned with uh the whole child and meeting the needs of the whole child um and when i talk about what we do i talk about maslow's tra- maslow's hierarchy so we start at the very base of, of Maslow um, and work our way up, really. And, and we have lots and lots of children who, who need us to start right at the very base of, of Maslow um, and meet those, um, those really physical, basic needs first. But then, then very, very soon, the, their emotional mental health needs appear and emerge on top of that. So we have a whole team um, dedicated, really. Well, the, ho- the whole team is dedicated to that, but there's kind of a sub-team within the the bigger team to, to address specific needs. So I think it's, it's because, so our connection on Twitter is because, um, because I believe very passionately that schools should meet the emotional and mental health needs of the children and the families wider than the children, but the families that we have in our care because it is a caring profession and they should be. So that, that's fantastic. And, and that leads me really neatly into a, a kind of question because I guess there are lots of people watching this who would make that assumption that part of learning is about feeling safe and that your mental health is um, in a good place and that your well-being is a focus, especially as a child when you're in school so much. But by by the very definition of the fact that you have to state that, um, that kind of leads us onto a, a situation where that isn't actually how all um, educationalists view um education and perhaps and perhaps would it be fair to say that there are there are some schools uh we have a growing uncomfortable language that tells me that there are schools that don't see things like that and by uncomfortable language i suppose i would say things like um 
the conversations we've had a lot around isolation booths, uh, behaviourist approaches to um, behaviour um, and uh, exclusion rises, off-rolling, a whole range of things that keep keep children's mental health and well-being not as a focus. Would you say that's your experience? Or? Yeah. And I think, um, so, so our schools foster, we, we, we don't exclude, we don't sanction at all, actually. So, we know, so our ethos and our philosophy is no punishments, no rewards. Um, and we have um, we had some experience of the media interpretation of what that might look like in our school. Um, it actually looks very different. It just looks like good parenting. Um, but, um, but I think we get lots of children who attend our school who've been at risk of exclusion, either fixed term or permanent exclusion, um, and who've had a very different experience to school and, and come with um, exacerbated trauma. I, think. I don't think the trauma has necessarily been caused by the school, but I, I, I think certainly it's not been helped by, by the school system. And, and in that, I'm not blaming any individual people, I don't think. I'm blaming the system. I think the system is, um, I think school leaders really feel the pressure of accountability and really feel the pressure sometimes from parents about um, the perceptions of what behaviour management looks like as a as quite a traditional um, quite a traditional thing really. Um, and if people suggested that, that the parent like that, there would be an outrage, but but schools are expected to manage behaviour in a certain way. Um, that that for for in my experience, most children don't need the behaviour managing because most children manage the behaviour perfectly well themselves. Um, so, so my experience and my um, kind of my viewpoint is we've got all these structures and systems in place for a really small percentage of our pupil population for whom actually it's really damaging. Um, so the systems that we've created for this very small population actually damage them further. Um, so, so for me, it was, for, and for us here, it was just about rethinking those systems about how we could develop systems and things in place that would support those children um, in terms of managing their own behaviour. Um, and ultimately that came down to relationships. So, and so I think the, the wider context is that, that school, school leaders um, want the best for their children because nobody comes into this job to harm. Uh, anybody, you know, that's, that's fair to say. But I think we, we run away, the system runs away of accountability um, and, and use that system of accountability as a, almost a protection because sometimes we don't know what else to do. Because sometimes it's difficult, isn't it, to manage people who've, been, who've suffered trauma and, and it's difficult to, to have that in a, in a context of a school. So it's kind of easy to push that away sometimes. Oh, you said so many things there. I mean... <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 it's fantastic. You know, um, you know, we're we're very much singing from the same hymn sheet in that in that regard. And, um your focus on relationships and I mean I want to come back to uh and I like what you said, you know, that, that most children uh you know will manage their behaviour, if not all children can manage their behaviour if they're in the right environment. And I think that's the key that you're kind of talking to. But the thing that I think people will have heard when they're watching you which I think is worth unpicking 
is when you said we have no exclusion, we have no sanctions. And I think that's what the media picked up on as well, wasn't it? So do you want to just expand upon that and how you embedded that into your behaviour policy? What kind of journey you went on to get to, get to that place? So, well, first of all, we, we have a relationships management policy. We don't have a behaviour management policy. Um, my principal, the principal's here. <laughs> the principal's here that we don't manage anybody else's behaviour because because it's impossible. The only person who can manage your behaviour is you. Um, and it's, it's false to suggest to children that anybody else is in their behaviour. So we have a relationships management policy which talks about managing the relationships with the children um, and talks about the provisions that, that we will put into place uh, for all of our children. So we know from attachment theory that, that relationship is king. Um, and so we're trying to so here we try and provide a secure base, a safe place for, for all of our children. Um, and one of the things that we're quite fond of saying is that, that for the least fortunate children, school should be what home is for the most fortunate. So that's kind of the principle that we're working on um, for, for our kids. Um, so, so that's... Okay, the, can, the, I stop you? can I stop yeah. you for a moment? Can you say that yeah. sentence again, please? Because we like that. <laughs> so school for the, for the least fortunate children... School should be what home is for the most fortunate children. Lovely. Thank you. Carry on. <laughs> so that's the kind of underpins the, the whole of the, the whole of the ethos, really, and the whole of the philosophy. It's about providing that safe person and that safe place. Um, so once, once we kind of came to that conclusion, um, it seemed really rational. It was a really rational next step. To, to kind of go, well, if we exclude our kids, and by exclude, I don't mean fixed term exclusions or permanent exclusions, I mean exclude in any sense, really, from the classroom, from a group, from a conversation, from that actually that doesn't match the attachment, the, the attachment aware stuff that, that we'd spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, so we really needed to look at how we could support our children for, into making right choices about their relationships. Um, in a way that wasn't punitive. Um, so we trained all of our staff and, and continue to train all of our staff on an ongoing rolling process in restorative approaches. Um, so in terms of in terms of our behavior, traditional uh, behaviour management, um, people would say our behaviour management is through restorative approaches. Um, I would argue that it's not about behaviour management, it's about having um, highlighting the importance of relationships for children. Um, because, of course, those of you who know about restorative practices know that it's all about restoring your relationship um, to, to, to a comfortable place after, after harming it. Um, so when children have caused harm, or when adults, for that matter, because they do have caused harm, then we we engage in a restorative process after that every time. Um, so every incident, every time there is a restorative process. So there's no sanctions. So there's no pointless punishment. And I'm saying pointless punishment in inverted commas. Um, I'm talking about punishments that kind of are just punishments that don't bear any relationship to what's gone before. So um, and, and often punishment is that it's just a punishment. It doesn't kind of it, there is no children can't rationalize the link between the incident and the punishment. Um, so we have a restorative approach. We engage in it's quite traditional, you know, the five questions. We ask the same five questions um, and it happens every time without fail. Sometimes it happens 
two kids in the playground have conflict and they get over it and they sort it very quickly themselves because they know that that's how we do it here. Um, and then on other occasions, we might get, you know, a whole host of people involved and it might take us a week to prepare it um, and to calm down enough to, you know, for the, for the people involved to calm down enough to take part in it and you know that might be parents it might be parents of other children it might be other members of staff on occasion we've had the manager for booths down the road you know because there was an incident involving the supermarket and you know and those things are, are really quite powerful and everything in between so really immediate really fast to really kind of quite delayed but involving a lot of people and anything in between really we so it's it's in response to to the conflict mm-hmm. um and um, and then the the so we talk about no punishments, but there are consequences because in life there are consequences. So if you've made a mess, you tidy it up. If you've hurt somebody's feelings, you apologise. Um, but the rational and the linked and they come from the child. So the child's in charge and in control of how they fix their relationship with the person that they find. And usually it's a two-way street, isn't it? As we know, we can't you, you can't have conflict with somebody who's not having conflicts back. So usually, um, usually it's a two-way street, and usually it's you know. And for us, ninety we're a primary school, so ninety percent more than ninety percent of the time, it finishes with an apology. Um, and a handshake or a hug or a high five or, or whatever it is that those children feel comfortable with. Um, sometimes it's bigger and, and our children, what the process does is, um, and there's a lot of, of hierarchy in this in terms of learning. So we do a lot about emotional literacy, especially with our most vulnerable children, the ones who show us the most challenging behaviours. We do a lot about emotional literacy so they can name how they're feeling, they can talk about what's been going on for them. And um, so they, they can they can kind of rationalise through language what's been happening. So, you know, for those children, sometimes they will say, outside's just too big and too out of control for me and I can't manage it. So I really need a place when it's playtime to be safe because then I can manage my emotions better and then nobody gets hurt. So we kind of provide that as standard now. So it's, it's big, you know, so there's an, old, there's an evolving process as well in all of this. So now all of our classes provide an option at playtime because we're really aware that some children, for some children, outside is a really scary place. Mm. Um, so there is a choice to stay in too, which is not punitive at all. Um, so they play in or they play out. And, and sometimes, you know, at the end of a restorative process, it might be that a child will say, I think I need to not play out for the next few weeks. Will you please remind me? Because I'll forget. Yeah, sorry. There's so many values that are taught within that setting, aren't there? I mean, you've got compassion, connection, repair, um, uh, relationships, responsibility. Um, I'm just going to move the camera around, Lisa, and I'm just going to show you our rounded and grounded poster that's on the wall. I'm in our assistant head, Laura's office here, and um, and so she... The wall, I don't know if you can see, can you just see the hearts? I'll walk oh, over to it a little bit. Very so these so these are our values. Oh, I'm, I'm losing you, I'm losing you in terms of your... Um, are they backwards? Oh, I'll go back, I'll go back, I'll go back. back. Come back over. Am I back? And, and when... Maybe right, I'm I'm back? In some way. <laughs> To the five questions, you said there were five questions. Are those yeah. on the wall linked to that? 
Um, the, no, they're not on the, they don't tend to be on the walls, um, but we do have them in the back of all of our, um, our, our lanyards. So all the staff have them in the back of our lanyards. I'll just show you mine. Uh, so they're all there. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it, it just happens. It's just practice. So children will take those and say, can I just read them? Can we just use them? Um, so, yeah. So, so that's kind of how it happens. So there's consequences that are appropriate, that match what's happened, that are about, um, about repair, really. What would, um, you say, what would you say to a school that's watching this? Who, because um, one of the things, so I've trained quite a lot of schools, um, looking particularly around trauma um, and building um, be better, better organisational resilience um, and, yeah. uh, and working... Um, in that way and one of the things that comes up a lot is where I might have teachers saying to me I really want to do this I love this this really resonates with me but they're going into a school where it's just not happening it's not part of the senior leadership or vice versa I've got a senior leadership team going we really want to put this in the school but you know there's all this other stuff going on with staff I mean so so it's not really as or I do a lot of work with designated teachers um, so I speak to them and then they're going off into yeah. their schools and you know they're just like you know how how do I embed this into my school how do I get my school to understand the value of this and go on this journey I mean what what would you say to those those teachers or those heads or I think um, I think that, that it has to be from the leadership I don't think I think in a school as a, as a teacher Unless it's from the leadership team, you're going to really struggle. If, if, there are, if there are systems around you, if there is a very systematised discipline for one to, system, then it's going to be really difficult. Um, but I think for, for individual teachers who have really great relationships with their kids, actually, they're never going to use the discipline system because they'll never use it. They'll never need to use it because the kids will respond. So, so that's kind of my message for teachers, you know, just about forming really great relationships with your children, because if you do, then the children will respond to that. Um, and uh, so, so kind of that's the first thing. In terms of the leadership, I think for, for us, so we've now been, uh, had this approach, we've had a relationships policy for I think about nine years. So we've been punishment free completely punishment free for about nine years so it's not it's not a fly-by-night fad um it's fairly embedded in our staff and but the process to get to that point nine years ago was you know perhaps it took us perhaps two or three years to get there initially um working with um working with the staff whose hearts and minds were very easy to, to bring into that i think so that it's very much a hearts and minds approach isn't it hearts first um so we would I think, and I'm going to say the word look it, although I don't think it was look, um, but we were lucky that we had a staff team that, that, that really embraced that approach. And then obviously as, as staff move on and, and, you know, you recruit, then you recruit people who are going to buy into that approach. So I suppose it becomes easier once it's, em once it's embedded with your kind of core team. Um, you know, and it is tricky. We do get it wrong still. Um, we have staff who get it wrong, but they sit down and they have a restorative process and they restore the harm that they've done or the harm that they've caused. And, and it's, it's all about being kind to each other, really, um, and, and forgiveness as well. So, so, the, so the message I would give and I do give to, to teachers is 
it's about relationships and you can only control what you can control in your classroom and you can control how your relationships are with those children you control how you can control how kind you are to the children that that are in your direct care for leaders it's about buying in hearts and minds you've been listening to the trauma recovery resilience podcast with me your host lisa cherry brought to you straight from the heart of the knowledge that high quality relationships are the cornerstone of learning healing and growing if you've enjoyed this episode please consider sharing or reviewing until next time